Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Politics 101, Chapter 4, Know Thine Enemies. Here we go. Folks, we still have a little bit more time for podcast award voting. Please go to podcastawards.com and vote for Manager Tools for both Best Business and People's Choice. We appreciate it. It makes a big difference in traffic to the site. Thanks. Okay, Mark. I've never had a political enemy in my life. I just get along <laughs> with everybody. Right. Nobody yeah, when you were climbing the ladder, nobody looked at you and said, I wanna I wanna stop him in his tracks. No. You're just you're just that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So I know. I, I know. I, I sh- I'll have a moment of honesty here and say, yeah, I've had I had one or two of those in my, yeah, my life. Yeah, you did. Let, let me ask you, though. Um, did you feel the change from being a manager? I know it doesn't happen just in one promotion necessarily in a certain title, but did you feel the change from the less political uh, world of management to the more political of executive life? And did you look back and say, man, there was so much more I, I could have done. I was unaware of what this would be like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there was, I think there is more quote unquote politics. We'll talk about that in a minute, but there's more and more t- politics as you rise in rank because as a manager, the resources required to manage your team are fairly narrow, right? And as you become an executive right. to achieve your your objectives. You need more and more resources. You need more and more contributions from folks that you don't control directly. And so there's more inherent conflict between the objectives of you and your peers than there is the manager. So politics necessarily gets, it gets, it gets larger as you grow up. But that said, there are politics at first level managers at any level. And so not only does it get worse as you get up, but your awareness goes up. And I wish I had that awareness when I was, when I was younger. Yeah, that's the point I was making is that I felt like, geez, there was so many times where I was too direct or not clever enough or not inclusive enough in, in my success. I just look back and go, wow, if I'd have been more political. And I can remember very clearly, I think I've said this before in the air, being 22, 23, 24 at seventh, the eighth field artillery and saying, I don't want to play politics. Um, I've copped to that on the air saying, yeah, you're just going to be so good. You're not going to play politics. Well, the whole <laughs> idea of playing politics and making politics bad, guys, that's like saying stop. That's like saying traffic lights are bad. Yeah, they they stop traffic every once in a while, but they do a real good job of saving lives. Uh, yeah. And as we've said it before, when you look up, folks, if you're a manager, if you're not a manager yet, if you're a manager, if you're becoming a more senior manager, but you don't feel like you're yet an executive. When you look up and you you see your executives, what you call politics, they call collaboration, and what they're doing, you could benefit from at your level. Politics don't just exist. They often, because they're built on relationships, and it's probably too easy a phrase, but the trading of favors, politics drive change. Relationships and the willingness to do something for somebody else and so on drives change in organizations. And so one of the things I learned was, if you don't do politics, you better be so good that essentially you can't be that good, right? You, you can't as you get more senior. That's right. Okay, so politics do exist. We just have to acknowledge that. And then the question is, okay, uh, no, all of us have enemies. Heck, even even Jesus had enemies, and he, and he was per and he was perfect. So yeah, right. Come on. Yeah. So okay, we're not perfect. We have enemies. What do we do about it? How do we become more effective? Yeah. So this cast is going to be fairly short because as I started to get into it, I realized there's 20 casts here. Easy. 
Um, and you know, I don't like hour and a half long casts when I can avoid it, but there's a lot of material here. And so I thought I'd chunk it down into something really clear. I thought I'd just get people started on the idea, the dark side of politics. And, you know, and, and that is know who your enemies are because folks, you have enemies or it's very likely that you do. There are probably some of you, I would suspect some high S's, um, that are, you know, too nice. Um, so don't have any enemies. I'm kidding, folks. There's no such thing as too nice. Know who your enemies are. And then you got to know who, what they want. And you get, you, when you can, you got to give it to them. That ability to share success, to allow them to win, to not make it a zero-sum game, is a huge lesson that most executives have learned by the time they become executives. And so we're just going to focus on some simple ideas about knowing and thinking about how to keep from making it a zero-sum game. And then in future casts, we'll talk about individual ideas about how to get it. Well, good. Okay. So I guess the first step is, assuming you have enemies, who are they? Know who they are. Yeah. Again, we're going to talk more about politics and, and enemies in the future. Um, but the, this guidance is pretty simplistic, and that is you have enemies, or you at least need to do the analysis to determine that you don't before you say that you don't. And basically, we start our education, one of the bases of our political education is acknowledging that you have that you have enemies and learning how to identify them. And honestly, guys, if this cast does nothing more than cause you to acquiesce to that idea and think for five minutes, who are my enemies, that it will have done you a great service. Right. Okay, but really, but I mean, how difficult is this, right? I know who I don't like. And there you go. There's, there are my enemies right there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the easy path, and it's the wrong path. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the standard whom I don't like is bad. It's a bad standard. There are plenty of people we don't like that we don't get along with, that we don't want to play golf with necessarily, who are not our enemies. Guys, just because you're hostile toward someone doesn't mean they're hostile toward you. Although, if you have hostility toward them, that's not a negative, but it is not a positive necessarily either hostility towards you is what makes someone an enemy. So just because you don't like somebody doesn't mean they're even deigning to think about you. Be careful of identifying someone as your enemy simply because you are aligned against them when they may not have a a similar reciprocal energy aligned against you. So we've got some simple guidelines here, and these are guidelines. And you know, it's funny, when you say the word guidelines, you realize it's not a rule, it's not a law, it's a guideline. It's supposed to give you some parameters to think within, some lines to guide you, but they're not hard and fast rules. And I wish I had hard and fast rules, I don't, but this is what our experience shows. The first thing we should ask, and it's a simple one and everybody ought to know it, which is whose role is inherently aligned against mine. Now, the question itself doesn't identify enemies, but it doesn't identify where enemies might be. Yeah, you're, you're, you're gonna have more to say. Cause I mean, this, the danger I think when people heard this, if they stop listening right now, is this is where they right. stop, right? They put everybody in finance as an enemy, right? Yeah, 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 you can't. For many of us, I mean, look, it's okay to start here to say, well, let me take a hard look at those people whose role in the organization would, would be aligned against me, but some of the folks who could be a natural enemy to you could in fact be a supporter depending upon the nature of your relationship with them, okay? So role differentiation, 
It's not dispositive. We don't say, well, all, all marketers uh, are enemies to IT and vice versa. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, wait. Partially. Now you're going too yeah, far. You're yeah. saying they're not? Oh, come on. Yeah, stop. Exactly. Stop right there. Um, <laughs> you know, developers might look at QA folks a little bit, which, of course, is dumb because, guys, you got to have QA to get stuff done. If there's QA in your organization of developers, if it's big enough to have, to have QA, don't make them your enemy. And most organizations, unfortunately, push down on them so hard, they think everybody's their enemy. Sales guys look at finance people, engineers look at production folks. And we just want you to think about that because some people simplistically come into the workplace and say, there's tension between my job and that job, so therefore that person is an enemy. I want to think in a duality world, a black and white world, and therefore I'm going to identify them as an enemy. And, and you ought not to do that. And relationships rule. I, I got an email from somebody the other day and I said, Wendy and I agree the most important career tools cast is building a network. Uh, and and relationship growing. Okay, so you look at roles. Now here's when we get an interesting stuff, as opposed to they don't like me. We ask ourselves whose behavior or positions beyond just their role are often aligned against mine? Who disagrees with me, with me in meetings? Who finds fault with my ideas? Who says yes but? Who does so openly? Now there may be people who do it privately and you'll end up finding that out at some point. But these are questions to ask just to make sure that you're at least considering all possibilities when you're making your enemies list. And I, I, I wish I hadn't said enemies list in this cast, but yeah. I know that's how some people are going to see this. We don't want you to have enemies, but we know you do at some level, hopefully less and hopefully few and not strong enemies, uh, not mortal foes. But again, you ought to know who they are. And then the last question is, whose future interests are often aligned against mine? There are limited resources in your organization. I mentioned it before, zero-sum game is a huge part of the creation of enemies. The idea that, well, uh, there's not enough to go around, and if I get some, then the other person doesn't. So therefore, if somebody else gets some, I don't, and therefore... I have to fight them all the time to get what I want. Right. And to be clear, you, you're not you're not saying that that's always true, right? It's often untrue that there is a zero-sum game. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in fact, in fact, the whole idea of business as a zero-sum game is ludicrous because, of course, the whole idea of organizations is to find new ways to serve society um, and to expand the value of the company in society and to serve society more so the society grows a bigger pie. That's right. right? That's if right. you have 10% of a $100 billion pie, you're doing better than 20% of a $5 billion pie. You just are. So growing the pie is a good thing. Yeah, unless you measure your success relative to others and then... Yeah, that's a huge issue. If I get promoted, then he doesn't, right? If future promotions are a contest to be won, then your enemy will think, well, if they win, you lose. And, and you know, there are some people who, and we've joked about it at conferences at ECCs, that when we talk about how to communicate, that I not only want to win, I want to know the other guy lost. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's probably a good sign. If somebody says that to you about you, that's a good sign they might be enemies. Look, they may see, see the size of their organization. Resources generally are where this is at, the future interest bit. But they may see the, see the size of their organization. You know, they want to have 20 people working for them rather than 10 as an opportunity to thwart you in the, in the idea that 
if they can take some of your people, they win and you lose. And we would probably think that, that not, that's a good sign that they're an enemy. And we don't recommend you go around losing people to other people, but it doesn't mean black and white. It's always a negative. And they may not be your enemy. They just may be predisposed to getting more people. And they're, yeah. you're not their enemy. They just they right. act that way with everybody. They don't dislike you. They just want more resources. Yeah. And in a case like that, if they don't dislike you, if, it's, if they're not aligned against you particularly, but rather they're just that way with everybody because of their approach, you can win with that person simply by being closer to them and knowing more about what they're going to do rather than saying, and this is, the, this is huge, they're my enemy now. Um, and that's what the rest of this cast about. But, but look, it's entirely possible that somebody, you go through this analysis, that somebody fits this bill in many ways, and yet they're not an enemy at all. We're not suggesting, guys, that you go unearth enemies, that everybody has lots of them. But just be aware that they can exist and don't be blind to them if they do. And we look, we hope you have none. We doubt it, but we, we do hope you have none. We don't want you to not be ready for the tactics or the politics that somebody who sees you as an enemy will tend to engage in. And you can make enemies easily by treating somebody as if they are an enemy and fighting them rather than taking a different approach. And it's that zero-sum game that, you know, that he's my enemy or she's my enemy, so therefore we have to fight that puts too many people in a situation where they say, well, I hate politics because they won and I lost and I didn't know it was coming and so on. And that's why our second point is you've got to know what your enemies want. It's not enough just to say, uh, well, I know they're aligned against me. Too many people mess up politically by thinking that if I have an enemy, he's worth defeating. And that's silly because political conf conflicts are often asymmetrical. Just because you win doesn't mean your enemy loses. And just because they lose doesn't mean you win. Okay? The existence of an enemy, and if, if they do exist, we're going we're gonna to give it a tip of the hat to those of you who have great relationships, is not in and of itself a reason to fight strategically, meaning all the time, or tactically, on any one issue or item. Why fight, which takes political capital, by the way, if you can get what you want without doing so, without fighting? Assuming that enemies means fighting is wrong. Fighting an enemy may be completely counterproductive. And again, you may have identified the person wrong anyway, so hopefully it'll do the analysis we suggested above. In order to be politically effective when dealing with your enemies, the key issue is knowing what they want. And it takes time to figure out what their interests are. Usually it's good enough to consider the tactical situation you're in. And once you know there's an enemy there, don't simply plan to beat them. Ask yourself what it is they want. Determine if them getting what they want really does keep you from getting what you want. And it may not. Consider that before you consider how strongly you have to work to minimize their impact. If them getting what they want is compatible with you getting what you want, that's a brilliant political move to go ahead and get what you want and let them get something. Honestly, guys, it's brilliant. They won't know what to do with it. Well, this is pre-wiring, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what pre-wiring is all about. Exactly. And I want to I save pre-wiring for, for a little bit because it's really part of when you, when, you know, our third point, when you can give it to them. But look, there are so many things that an enemy can do. And thinking about it in advance 
I'll tell you what, it definitely minimizes the impact of the person who is against you and is doing a zero-sum game and can only therefore imagine a small set of tactics designed to beat you. And when they see you not trying to beat them, it messes with their head. It's like being aligned with somebody in a battle and the person saying, well, you can attack me if you want, I don't really care. Napoleon did this all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, I know there are some of you who think that, well, Mark and Mike are in the military, so they use a lot of military analogies, but we have all kinds of other analogies as well, as, as those of you who are longtime listeners know. But Napoleon was so good at this. I mean, he would always be almost losing the battle everywhere that it didn't matter. That's right. And he was always winning the battle at the one point the point where he masked, um, the point of decision, he was always winning at that point. And he would, his, his troops would be saying, it's terrible over here, it's terrible over here. And he would ignore them to some degree because he knew that in the next few minutes or hours that the one place that really mattered, he's going to win. And you can do that with your enemies. If you're getting what you want, even as they're rolling over you, what do you care? And that kind of politics, that kind of, if you'll pardon the expression, warfare, interpersonal, organizational warfare is pretty high-level cleverness. And it's not that hard to do if you'll just realize, hey, I need to be aware of what they want and let me at least analyze, could in fact I get what I wanted and, and let them have what they want. Even if what they get is pretty significant, as long as you're getting what you want. Look, you include them in communications. Seek out input from them. We'll talk about that again in, in pre-wiring. You do that and you can find out what they want and determine how serious a challenge they might be to what you're doing. Don't assume that their status as an enemy means that they'll fight everything. They may not be reflexively opposed to everything that you're doing. And you can't know that till you explore. You can't know that till you game plan. You can't know that till you communicate with them. Do not leave them out. This is a huge error. In fact, I almost said, lay down with your enemies as the title of this cast. But I realized that, well, that doesn't help until people know who their enemies are. I want so many of you to not make the mistake that I did early in my career and say, I'm not going to play these games. I'm just going to be good. Because yeah. if you're good and you work hard at being good and you believe you have the organization's best interest at heart and you overlay on top of that some political, political sensitivities, you're going to rock. <laughs> That's right. And I didn't, right? I, I went around several times. Mike will tell you, I poked my finger in people's eyes. Right? Your finger? Yeah, yeah. Your whole hand, your arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people know that and listen to me for a while. I'll tell you what, I, I, the other day, I, I got a new computer. I launched a bunch of programs and stuff. And one of the things I did was iTunes and, and of course, went and looked at podcasts and how we were doing and, and uh, uh, went and looked at reviews, if there were any new reviews. And, you know, I, I, every time I go to reviews, there are, what, five or 600 people maybe who say we're awesome and five stars. And there are five who say Mark's an arrogant jerk and he talks too long. And um, Seth Godin has a blog post that I look at a couple of times a year, which says, you know, ignore your detractors. Um, focus on your supporters. He says, if you admit it, admit it, guys, that when you look at a bunch of reviews, you look at the negative ones. And he said, but stop it, because you could do everything those people want, and they still wouldn't like you. And it would change what other people like about you. But okay. I know politically, you saw me do it. You were much smoother than me in terms of, or, you know, you were more warm fuzzy, and I was more cold prickly to people. And as you said before, if I hadn't been good, I would have been in a lot more trouble. That's right. And it wasn't like I wasn't in trouble. 
Um, I just had the defensiveness of being good. Well, and you learned, and just to be clear, I mean, that, yeah. that works the, the lower level you are, the more that works. But at some point in most organizations, you get high enough, you're no longer at the 99th yeah, percentile, exactly. right? Yeah. Everybody's great. <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. It was like, oh man, I got, I got, I got learning to do here. Yeah. And I like, I, I can remember like high school, like I, high school, I was knocking it out of the park and I, you know, I thought it was big stuff in terms of being smart or whatever. Right. I got to West Point and like, oh no, I'm pretty yeah, much average. It's yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, much oh average. crap. Yeah, that, that exactly. Yeah. So guys, don't do what I did. Be smarter than me. This is one of my, I'd love to go back and do it again with some political savvy because it would have been more fun and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have burned relationships. Okay. So look, last point. Once you know what your enemies want, this is the counterintuitive thing. This is, uh, it's maybe a teeny bit Machiavellian, but, but really it's just more of being willing to lose a little bit to be able to fight another day. You're talking about appeasing your enemies. Is that, what really, is that, is that really where you're going here? No, no, I don't want to appease them. I want to be thinking asymmetrically about the battlefield and I want to know that I can get what I want and I can still give them what they want First of all, in the long run, this can actually make them not an enemy. I'm just asking people not to see it as me versus them, white versus black, spy versus spy, I win, they lose. It's not that simple. The moment we say enemy, our emotional energies move toward fight or flight. Often it's fight for those high D's and high I's. And, and that creates an alignment against something rather than for something. I've said this before and people, a couple of people have actually laughed at me. You're not competing with your competitors in the marketplace. You're competing for customers. And when you focus on customers rather than on your competitors, you end up coming up with what customers want or, or potentially what they don't want in terms of taking stuff out rather than saying we're, we're in a battle against our competitors and we're going to spend a lot of time paying attention to them. Not saying we shouldn't know what our competitors are doing. But again, it's just a different way of looking at the tension and conflict. Tension and conflict is not you pull and therefore I'm, I'm pulled in your direction. It doesn't have to be that way. And so what you do is figure out what you believe the organization needs and then you ask what that means your, your opponent, your enemy might get and see whether or not that's something that would benefit them or can you modify what you're doing so they can get what they want uh, as well and you can eliminate, you can reduce, eliminate is probably too strong a word, you can ameliorate or mute their impact on you by simply thinking a little bit outside the box. And look, too many young professionals, including me, um, fall in love with their great ideas and say, this is awesome. Uh, or I know a lot of high C's come up, they take months coming up with this perfect product and a perfect plan and everything's tight and linear and focused and awesome and dependent and resource zero, right? It takes exactly what we have and turns it into something great. And then they don't get it because they irritate other people. There's nothing in there for other people. There's no acknowledgement that other people are gonna to have to implement it. And nobody's willing to get, get behind it. Nobody's willing to align to it. And the politically savvy people would much rather have 80% of their idea implemented, even if the 20% that they lose, that could have been made it, made it even greater, is lost to an enemy's resistance, to an enemy getting what they want out of this new idea. Political smarts suggest we should agree to that 
even if they're going to boast to their friends, yeah, Horseman came in here, he had this idea, but he couldn't do it all without my agreement, and so he had to give me some key parts, and I got them, and yeah, it's great. Yeah, okay, that guy gets 20 or 30% of it, and you get 60 or 70 or 80% of it. I got to tell you guys, Mike was talking about you know the transition to executive. At the very top, resources are much more broadly spread. You can't get something done without other people being on board. How many times, Mike, how many times have I said on the show, if you're the VP of sales and you have a great idea for a product, but the VP of manufacturing doesn't like you, you don't go to the CEO and tell him or her, you should tell the VP of manufacturing <laughs> they should make this product. That's right? not the way it works. The, the, oh, yeah, that's, that's not the way it works. The CEO is going to be like, go talk to him yourself. And dude, if you don't have a good relationship, you need to be working on that relationship because I expect you guys to get along because I expect you guys to get along. That's part of the rule. Right. And, and if you're the VP of manufacturing, you have a great product and the VP of sales is like, yeah, sure, we'll sell that. But he didn't like you or she didn't like you. You're in a pinch, yeah. right? Your, your stuff is going to get made, but it's not going to get sold. And now you might as well have wasted the resources because of a lack of relationships. That's right. So look, you mentioned pre-wiring and you're absolutely right. You have an idea. You think it will work. And folks, if you don't know what pre-wiring is, there's a cast for that. And it's probably one of our, Mike, top 10 in terms of the surprise factor for people going, oh my gosh, I didn't know this existed. It's a must read. It really is. Yeah. You have an idea. You think it'll work. But one of the decision makers or influencers in the process is a potential enemy of yours. Rather than avoiding them, the effective professional, the one that acknowledges that politics exist and isn't a pure politician, but acknowledges it and is willing to be, be aware of it and modify their plans and their behaviors in order to, to take into account politics, seeks out the enemy along with other people whose opinions matter. If you don't do this and they are an enemy, they can ruin your plans by working against you publicly and privately. And in a lot of cases in planning and processes and decision-making, if they're left out of early communications, they can torpedo your idea at the last minute when you're probably ill-equipped to recover. And they'll lay in wait because you didn't communicate with them. And they'll lay in wait because you made them more of an enemy by your apolitical what, what would be the, the, the political approach of, I'm going to ignore them, which is bad. The higher political approach is, I want to communicate with them. You know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. The smart professional takes their ideas to the enemy. And I'm not talking about mortal enemies. There are people like that that you have to avoid. And in some cases, you even let some of their ideas, the enemy's ideas, into a larger plan that you have because... of a plan is better than nothing at all. And if you think you're going to go through your career getting all your plans, processes, procedures, recommendations accepted in full, in total, shrink-wrapped already, and nobody can mess with it, you are smoking crack. It's not going to happen. I probably went on a little long, but but it's a fairly short cast in terms of the, the breadth of stuff about enemies in politics. But we just wanted to get you started thinking about who might they be. And we're going to do more about potential techniques and we'll do some disc um, stuff about that d's i's s's and c's you know s's are always amazed that you can punch a d enemy in the nose and, and get away with it in, in a figurative sense of course um, and we'll, we'll drill down more but for now know who your enemies are know what they want consider the possibility that, that asymmetrically they can get what they want even as you get what you want Look, you can definitely find Machiavellian advice out there. Crush your enemies, burn their fields when you fight on their land. But really, you know, and, and we love those warfare analogies, but that's probably for actual warfare and 
16th century Italian princes, frankly. There are too many poker metaphors in today's press, too much coverage of the drama of all in, but they don't cover the folds and the check bets that people make. They don't get the press. But unless you want to risk a job search because you alienate everybody, it's better to remember that another hand is going to be dealt shortly. Now look, we, we want you to win the hand you're playing, but don't make every bet all in by immediately aligning against your enemies, or you're not going to get a hand next time. There you go. All right, my friend. Thank you. That was fun. You bet, partner. It was. I, I, I'm acknowledging that I could have done politics better as a younger person, and I want people not to make the mistake that I made. And I watched you do it better than me, so. Yeah, well. You get it out there, guys. I wish I could have kept up with you, but that's another, another, another ah, story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. All right. Thanks, We'll see you. Then. Bye. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long.